a warm welcome back to Inside Track with Colin Niles. Now, if you've listened to previous episodes of my podcast, you'll have seen there's a formula. I'm interviewing leaders from around the world and asking them to share their stories, their journeys about how they became great at whatever it was that they were doing. And clearly leadership is a key part of it. So I wanted to make this podcast to focus on what I think I've learned from them about the three pillars of great leadership. So if you're listening in and wondering what you're going to get out of it, hopefully it's going to be some ideas which you can take away to help you become a great leader or at least a better leader or a consistently better leader than you are now, if that's possible. Let's just dive straight in, though, so we can try to make this a little bit clearer. Great leadership is built on three pillars, three pillars that you will have demonstrated multiple times over your life already, and perhaps you weren't even aware of it and how important it was. And I think that if you are, you'll understand that these three pillars, if you can focus on them, will help you to become an even better leader, an even more consistently great leader, not just some of the time, but actually all of the time. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's first examine exactly what great leadership is. It might sound odd as a question because I know many of us think it's obvious. Um, If I was to think about who I think are great leaders, I'd name people like Jeff Bezos or Nelson Mandela or Richard Branson. You'll choose other people that would resonate equally with me, I'm sure. So it's quite easy, I think, to pick out great leaders. But I think it's actually quite difficult to describe the characteristics of great leaders and to get consensus around that, which is a bit weird, really, because if we were to go and poll everyone who's listened to this podcast and ask them to draw up a list of leaders and then do that a couple of times, I think we could boil it down to a set of 10 or 20 that in general we all agree were actually fantastic at what they did. Nonetheless, like describing an elephant, I think to determine scientifically at least what differentiates them from the rest is actually quite hard. Let's just go and start thinking of the types of terms that we could uh, could use in this. Um, Maybe they're great listeners or empathizers or empowerers or deciders or committers or communicators or influencers. Or perhaps it's the fact that they're believable, credible, trustworthy, honest, resilient, humble, confident communicative, creative, or maybe even just innovative. But on the set of leaders that I've just given, obviously not all of those terms apply. All right. And now let's make it even more stark. Most of those terms, in many ways, I wouldn't apply to this next candidate as a great leader, Donald Trump. He was without question a great leader, right? Despite being um, shown to have misposted tweets, lied effectively 20,000 times, the fact is I don't like him and millions of other people don't like him either. But that doesn't mean we can say he wasn't a great leader. He had something about him that's captivated over 70 million Americans. Steve Jobs, he's another great example. In his case, he was able to generate a godlike following despite not being known for showing any significant levels of empathy. It's worth also noting that great leaders are not recognised as being great for their whole career. They tend to be analysed at points in their lives when they are deemed to have been successful as opposed to when they've gone through failure moments. Richard Branson wouldn't have been flagged as a great leader in his younger years when he dropped out of school to set up a school magazine. And what about more recently when you think of Travis Kalanick, the founder of Uber, who clearly has gone from hero to zero in the eyes of millions. Jobs has gone through multiple periods, if you look back at his career or read his biographies, um, where he's been out of favour and actually fired from the organisations that he founded and built. So you see, leadership isn't an innate characteristic, or I don't think it is anyway, that we should expect to proudly demonstrate every day of our lives. It depends on circumstances, situations, societal norms at that time, and of course other people's perceptions of how we act. 
and our praise and adorations are typically only attributed to people who have been involved in something significant, without regard actually to whether their leadership was in fact impactful. So good leadership, to me at least, is an ethereal concept. Which brings me to kind of nevertheless say, I still believe that despite that, there are three pillars that truly great leaders demonstrate more consistently than others, and that the need for such leaders is perhaps more in demand now than at any point in our living memory. And I'm equally convinced that you have demonstrated, and I do mean you as listening to this podcast, these traits on many occasions in your own life. And so I'm certain that if you apply these traits deliberately and consistently, you too can be recognized as a great leader, no matter what path your life takes. So let's get in. Pillar one, set missions that win hearts over minds. If you want to lead, you have to win hearts, not minds. We might all like to think that our decision making is rational and considered, and that regardless of whether you are leading a local gardening club or a multinational listed corporate, that the key to great leadership is to provide a set of rational goals for people to align around. But the reality is we are all led by our hearts, not our heads. So in fact, emotions are at the center of virtually every decision we ever make. What cars we buy, who we love, where we go on holiday, where we decide to live, which politicians we vote for, which companies we work for, what stocks to choose to invest in, the list is endless. We make our decisions based on emotion. And I think as humans, we're rather unique as a species because our emotional range extends far beyond any other animal on the planet. Consider for a moment the number of feelings we can have from just using our imaginations. A well-told story can incite fear, laughter, and sadness in just a few pages. And when a well-known character is killed off in our favourite TV series, this can create feelings of loss and, dare I say, even bereavement. It's that ability of ours to imagine that differentiates us. And in fact, our imagination is the basis for how we organise ourselves as a society. Our legal, financial, and government systems are all essentially illusionary. We readily accept that handing over a piece of paper with a dollar sign on it will be accepted, despite the fact that the paper is in itself worthless. Bitcoin is another great example of an imaginary system, which may, in time, generate enough trust that it becomes the prevailing method to transact or to store value. Great leaders seem to intrinsically understand this paradox that influencing others to act requires more than presenting a set of facts and rational assumptions. It requires the presentation of stories, stories that capture the hearts and imaginations of others, and they do that by creating and sharing visions that are transcendental when compared to the seemingly more objective and measurable goals used by most organisations. Let's consider these two job proposals to give it a bit of substance. Which one would interest you more? A. We need a CEO, preferably with experience in marketing, who can help increase sales by 20% and uplift margin by 24%. Or B, do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life, or do you want to come with me and change the world? Both adverts could be for identical roles, but I know which I'd take, and indeed John Scully obviously agreed with me because it was this now famous line that Steve Jobs used to lure him from PepsiCo to Apple. As John Scully says in several interviews, the genius of leaders like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates wasn't that they were overly interested in profits. They were, in fact, more focused on delivering a noble cause, one which would benefit society in some way, shape, or form, and one which, if carried out successfully, could also generate profits. Perhaps you're different, but most people I know would far prefer to work in an organisation where there is a cause to rally behind, especially if it offers similar industry-level pay and benefits. And great leaders understand this more than most, which is why they don't set transactional goals to inspire their teams. To underscore this point, think how all companies need to turn a profit. 
But leaders who set profit as the primary goal have to make transactional packs with their staff, which simplify typically to, if you do something for me, I'll do something for you. And usually this is built around pay. But many organisations now also enhance these transactions or packs with offers of future promotions for those who help achieve those objective goals. Visionary leaders, on the other hand, build support by creating movements. They set purposeful targets which transcend simply generating profits and emotionally resonate with their teams. They offer people the opportunity to do something which feels good in its own right, with or without a competitive paycheck and share scheme. Today, the majority of leaders, I think, still have profit generation as their primary goal and rely on transactional relationships to deliver. And that's why purpose-driven leaders are starting to build significant momentum. Examples include Elon Musk, the CEO of SpaceX, who has set a vision of helping humanity live on Mars. Or what about Paul Polman, who placed sustainability as a key goal for Unilever? This in turn has led to product divisions focusing on solving real-world problems such as eradicating dysentery rather than the seemingly simpler goals of trying to increase sales of soaps like Lifebuoy, for example. A third example comes from the founders of WISE, Christo Carmen and Tavet Hinkus. I apologise to them if I pronounce their names incorrectly. They didn't focus on profit margin for their cross-border payment solution. Instead, they sold a vision to staff, customers and investors alike that they wanted to work towards helping people transfer money to their loved ones for free. In all three cases, these visionary leaders have created companies that have far outperformed their competitors across virtually every single measure. So next time you're given the opportunity to lead a team, don't start by setting a rational, transactional goal such as profit or growth or margin. Go deeper and look for the real benefits that you can bring to your team, your customers, or even society at large. Then sell the story to build that support base of advocates and prepare to be amazed at how much effort they'll put in to help you collectively achieve that vision. It's worth flagging at this point that the vision that you set has to be something you believe in too. And this last point is perhaps the most important takeaway. You can only truly be a great leader if you're leading towards something that you passionately believe in. If you yourself don't believe, you might become a good manager or organiser, but you cannot ever become a great leader. Okay, pillar two, be curious. I spent a lot of time on this idea of purpose because I think it is the most important pillar, but it doesn't work by itself. Next up on the list is this idea of being curious. So, when I look at great leaders, they all display this immense level of curiosity. Could you imagine uh, Steve Jobs, for example, or Bill Gates, or Elon Musk, or Richard Branson, all of whom I've mentioned before, being successful without having intensely inquisitive minds? I don't think so. But don't make the mistake of assuming these leaders limited their curiosity to designing new cutting-edge products and services. They each had to be equally curious about people, because without people, their ideas would never have seen the light of day. Each of them has had to find a way to positively manipulate others to turn those ideas into reality. Now, some leaders like Richard Branson are, or at least come across, as being incredibly empathetic in the process. Steve Jobs and Elon Musk perhaps less so. But in all cases, they have had to be curious, because if you're not continually focused on experimenting with different ways to bring out the best from your teams, you'll miss the opportunities that are actually available. It's also important to highlight that your leadership style cannot remain static throughout your career. The approach you take will have to adapt depending on the circumstances you face at that particular time. I think that this point is often missed, although it is actually incredibly important. I've got personal experience of trying to apply a leadership style that had worked well for me in the past to a new team that was operating in a different environment. 
what I was sure would increase engagement and productivity had precisely the opposite result. I'd lost my curiosity about the art of good leadership and assumed that what worked previously would work again and again and again. And I failed to test, observe and adapt my approach. These negative experiences helped me understand that perspective on the correct approach is important, but it cannot be treated as more than a best guess or a hypothesis, and that if you're not adapting regularly, you're doing it wrong. Take the idea, run the experiments and be curious about the result. And don't take the result personally if it highlights blind spots or issues in how you're actually being perceived. Genuine curiosity about how others perceive you is such an important mindset for all great leaders as it helps replace the hurt that can occur from a constructive criticism with a more objective personal interest about what one needs to do to actually improve. Being linear and assuming previous methods are correct may work in maths, but certainly cannot be applied with humans. So great leadership is built on an appreciation of the diversity of human interaction, the emotions that drive each of us, and having enough curiosity to continually iterate your approach. And the worst leaders, unfortunately, I've experienced are, in fact, those who've lost that curiosity. Their approach quickly disintegrates into arrogance and hubris. And the longer this is left to fester, the worse they get and the harder it becomes for them to change. Shareholders and boards that allow non-curious leaders to remain in their positions of power fully deserve the negative consequences that follow. And those consequences can be disastrous. Imagine, for example, if the leadership team of Blockbuster had been more curious about the possibilities Netflix offered in the same way that Google were about Android. Blockbusters obviously eventually went bust, while Google's Android applications now power 90% of devices on the planet. But to be fair, how could the Blockbusters leadership team be curious? They didn't have a deep underlying purpose beyond profit. Instead, they focused on the transactional goals of growing their 5 billion in revenue, of which 17% came from late return penalties. So it's not surprising they lacked the curiosity to explore the postal and later streaming models that made Netflix so successful. By setting a powerful purpose as your North Star, it's so much easier to develop a culture of curiosity. And this need is only becoming greater as technology continues to develop faster than any point in our history. It's impossible to predict the future in a fast-changing world, so only the leaders who remain curious and engender curiosity across their organisations will be able to create adaptable businesses which will thrive and survive. Of course, it's not just technology that's changing everything. Companies have to adapt their leadership styles because the beliefs and ideas of their staff are transforming too. From X to Y to Z and up and coming now to alphas, each generation brings a different perspective on how work should be organised. And the leaders with the most experience are going to have to learn to unlearn the most, especially if they want to bring out the best of a generation that's perhaps 30 plus years their junior. Consider that if you're not as curious about life as a 20-year-old, and you don't therefore understand how they prefer to communicate via social platforms instead of the email that you're used to, how are you going to bring collaboration into an organisation where your models are not aligned to the people that are working for you? COVID-19 has also created an ideal space for curiosity, as we've seen an upsurge in interest in how to motivate individuals working from home. And more and more people are looking to try out the gig economy. But how do you inspire someone who you've never met, who you can't network with, and who may sit on the other side of the planet? I don't actually know the answers to this. I don't think anyone does yet. But I'm absolutely certain the leaders who win will be those who are curious enough to explore these new paradigms as they attempt to continue finding new paths to achieve their collective vision. What you find for your purpose and what you become curious about is down to you. But try to find those two threads to guide you and you'll vastly increase your chances of succeeding in bringing others on the journey. 
if you believe that you and your team know everything already, you can only ever go backwards. And so curiosity for me is the missing pillar for far too many people in senior positions. They've become jaded and linear in their approach to business, and that attitude can quickly become pervasive throughout the organisation. And it's that missing pillar that eventually leads to future conversations like this one from Hemingway's The Sun Also Rises. So how did you go bankrupt then? Slowly, then suddenly was the reply. OK, still with me. We've done the first two pillars. Pillar three, it's the last pillar, and then we bring it all together. All right. What is pillar three? It's courageous leadership. The final pillar is what I see in all great leaders. You've got to have the courage of your convictions. The dictionary Merriam-Webster defines this as doing what one believes is right. And Collins suggests that courage is having the confidence to do what you believe is right, even though other people may not agree or approve. But these definitions don't fully articulate what I think is the essence of genuinely courageous leadership. You see, great leaders are often placed in situations where they themselves are incredibly uncertain about what right is. Yet they still seem able to make decisions when they're both uncertain about the efficacy of the decision and are aware that it will not be universally accepted. That ability to decide in complex, uncertain environments is a rare skill and one for which those that apply it deserve our praise. It's my sense that this pillar of leadership is now in critical demand as the world continues accelerating its exponential transformation. The confluence of new technologies, often referred to as 4IR, the global pandemic, fears about the impact of global warming and the rise of populist politics, they're all driving significant global change at pace and scale. The impact of these mega shifts, mega trends, is being compressed into years, not decades. So working from home, the rise of Bitcoin, the huge increase in retail-based equity investments, these are just three examples of behavioural transformations that have been radically accelerated because of COVID-19 and these technological advancements. The courageous leaders of today are those who understand it's impossible to predict what the world will look like in five years, yet they still have the strength to make uncomfortable decisions, decisions that best place their organisations in a position to thrive because they are designed specifically to excel in an uncertain world. This will likely mean an accelerated cycle of unlearning old models and experimenting with new ideas that may or may not even work in a world where change is exponential. For example, we're already seeing adaptability and sustainability becoming critical concepts for businesses of today. Courageous leaders will have to stand up and challenge their boards and colleagues to think differently about how to lead their organisations. They will need to challenge the status quo with questions like, should we stop carrying out competitor analysis as the real threats are coming from startups that, wait, well, in our eyes, may not even exist yet? Does an annual strategic planning cycle even make sense when entrepreneurs are taking new ideas from concept to production in a matter of months? Are we prepared to introduce new products and services which are going to cannibalise our existing revenue streams? Should we sell our most profitable businesses now, avoiding the future brand backlash that will come when the public realise the extent of the negative environmental externalities we've created? Another one is, isn't our long-term sustainability now dependent on reinvesting dividends rather than regular coupons to our shareholders? These are just a few examples, but great leaders of the 20s are going to be those who take the courageous and often unpopular decisions which align their organisations with the changing demands of their customers and society at large. They will be the ones who understand they don't have to know the answers, that many of their strategies will fail and that some of their ideas will be looked at with ridicule with the advantages of hindsight. So organisations that want to thrive can no longer offer a place for leaders with false bravado and overconfidence about the future. They now need courageous leaders, 
leaders who appreciate the world is uncertain and therefore create more flexible, experimental and anti-fragile types of organisation. Closing the circle. Let's bring this all together. Purposeful, curious and courageous leaders. The leaders who successfully guide their countries, companies or clubs will be the ones who apply these three pillars consistently and simultaneously. They're each powerful differentiators in their own right, but the benefits magnify when they're applied together. It's far easier to find courage when you're attempting to achieve a mission that matters emotionally and you've got the curiosity to not fear making mistakes, but rather to see them as an inevitable learning opportunity. It's easier to be curious when you have the courage to openly admit you don't know the answers, while still having a deep purpose that guides what you should be curious about. And it's easier to set purpose before profit when you're curious enough to see what results occur with this new approach and courageous enough to know your main shareholders may not be comfortable with it, but to still go for it anyway. It's my belief that purposeful, curious and courageous leaders are now more in demand than ever as we are living in an age where exponential change is creating both significant opportunities and significant risks, which are impacting all of humanity. It's quite clear that these current economic and political systems have created dangerous, perhaps unintended, but perfectly predictable consequences. Global warming, inequality are the direct results of decisions taken by businesses and political leaders. And more disruption is coming as machine learning, robotics and automation upend job markets, placing many tens of millions of people at risk of unemployment or worse. Then factor in how these issues could be magnified with Africa's projected population growth to 20, 30 or even 40% of the world's population over the next decades. Today's leaders must now place the planet before profit, have the curiosity to explore more ethical business systems and have the courage to stand up against the institutions and systems that are going to resist change. Purposeful, curious and courageous leadership is mission critical for ensuring the future sustainability of our planet. So, if you focus on building your life around purpose, curiosity and courage, perhaps you are going to be remembered as one of those great leaders who positively changed the world for the benefit of all. I certainly hope that's the case. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.